We have our last uh, study tonight on the topic of marriage, and next week we'll turn our attention to friendships. I want to talk with you this evening about your marriage is like a garden, so take care of it. I want to tell you a short story. It took place last year. We were at a Bible fellowship group gathering at Gary and Judy Jenkins' home. And so we're in the backyard, and later that evening we're going to watch fireworks as a, as a group together. And she had these massive, large pots, and the flowers were just so beautiful and so magnificent. So as I'm enjoying the fellowship with the folks, I'm thinking in my mind, I wish Jaylen hadn't seen these pots. I wish she hadn't seen this. And so I began to think about what could I say as soon as we get into the van that would distract her from saying something like, I loved Judy's flowers. We have got to do something like that in the backyard. So I initially thought, well, this is what I'll do. My first comment will be, if I had, the doors would close, we'd turn on the car, she would be driving, of course. And I would say, if I had brain cancer, where do you think we would go to get uh, to have surgery for me? <laughs> and, and that would disrail, derail any kind of conversation about the, about the flowers. Fortunately, the fireworks were fantastic. The food was wonderful. The fellowship was great. And so there were a lot of other things to talk about until about a few nights ago. We're on the back porch. And she said, you see those two big places out there? I would love those giant kind of pots. I know where she saw those pots at. And I said, that's a lot of dirt, honey. And she said, we could fill them with dirt and put pretty flowers in them. And I like Gary and Judy, but I'm not taking her back to their home again. <laughs> you know, the, the truth of the matter is marriage is a lot like gardening. It is a lot like gardening. And if we're lazy, our marriages will never be what we want them to be. Or if we let down our guard, our marriages could end up in absolute catastrophe because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants nothing better to, than, to, than to divide us if we're married from our spouse or to make us ill-prepared if we're single to become a spouse. As I was thinking about tonight, I was thinking about, particularly in the Proverbs, some passages about how important it is to be diligent, and on the, other, on the other side of the coin, how important it is not to be lazy. Let me read you just a, a few verses that I think capture the essence of why most marriages never actually become all that God would want them to become. Proverbs says, I passed by the field of a lazy one and by the vineyard of a person lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with weeds. Its surface was covered with weeds and its stone wall was broken down. Listen to this. The desire of the lazy one puts him to death for his hands refuse to work. The lazy one says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. The way of the lazy one is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Other verses that I could take you to, but the, the point that I want to make is this. Marriage is hard work, and we, we never get it completely right, and we're always learning and maturing and growing and developing. 
We should never be satisfied with, with where we are because we can always be a better, a better spouse. And no one has arrived. No husband has arrived. No wife has arrived. No, no couple has arrived. There's always room to grow, uh, but you can't be lazy. As I thought about this idea of laziness, several things came to my mind this week. And as I thought about marriage and gardening, one thing that's very important in gardening is the ground that you choose to plant a, a flower bed or to plant a garden. You know, a lot of ground in Kentucky is fertile, and there's a lot of places in Kentucky where it's just very, very hard, kind of, kind of clay-like. And in many ways, that's the way many people come into their marriage. They're ill-equipped because they come from dysfunctional families. And they've never really seen a functioning marriage that is very healthy. They grow up hearing a lot of bickering in the home, a lot of bickering between the husband and between mom and dad. And they're not certain if that's natural or normal or the way things ought to be, but that's all that they know. All they know is a lot of bickering between, uh, between parents. Uh, I came from just uh, a horrific uh, upbringing with very, very uh, bad uh, marital examples with my parents. And Jaylen came from a very dysfunctional family. It was a family that stayed together, but her father wasn't genuinely saved until she was about 17 or 18 years of age, and, and her, her home life was as nightmarish as my home life in many ways. And so here we were thrown together, but by God's good grace, she had been raised in a church where there were all kinds of very healthy marriages, not perfect marriages, but healthy marriages. And I was saved into that church, and so I had the opportunity before we got engaged and, and, uh, and married to see some examples of healthy marriages. And so we're stunned and surprised sometimes when we find out that we don't communicate the same way. We don't think about money the same way. We may not have even talked about how many children we want to have, if we want to have children, when we want to start children, where we want to, to live in the north and the south, east and the west. We, don't, we, we haven't talked about any of those things. And so we, we come into marriage and you can ride on the, on the crest of the wave of, of marital bliss for about 62 hours. And, and, then, it's, and then, then it starts coming to coming up. Now, obviously, God often gives us a lot more time than that, but every couple will begin to have marital friction if they're coming from dysfunctional backgrounds because that's just ingrained in us. It's a part of who we are. That's why as moms and dads, we need to be, do the very best job we can to present before our children a healthy, wholesome relationship that they're absolutely convinced that dad and mom love one another, that there's no other person, and they get along well. Now, they don't get along perfectly, but they get along well. That there's not bickering and contentiousness in front of the children, because you're teaching and training and ingraining in your children the kind of marriage that you would not want them to have, but it's exacerbated. 
It's personified in them. Our weaknesses are personified greatly in our, in our children. And so the, we have to understand the ground isn't always good ground, but that's where, that's where we've got to plant the, the garden. That's where the flowers have to, be, have to be planted. And so it means that there's hard work to till up the ground. That is, even if it's good ground, even if it's, even if it's rich soil, it still takes some work. It, till, it still takes some intentionality and some, and some diligence. Nothing grows strong unless it's planted in good soil. It may grow for a while, but it will never flourish the way that you would want it to flourish. So the soil is absolutely essential. And that's the first step in, in beginning and growing a good marriage. Work hard at getting off on the right foot. But the second thing I would say is you, you can't just let a garden go on its own. It's got to be weeded. It's got to be watered. It's got to be nurtured. It's got to be cared for. And what often happens in a, in a marriage is there are so many other things to do and life is like 90 miles an hour that all of a sudden you discover my marriage has all kinds of weeds in it. My marriage has all kinds of, all kinds of problems in it. And unless you take time and slow down the world will keep you going and going and going and going and going and going, and one day your marriage won't be what you want it to be. Now, we have busy lives and we have large families, and, that, and that's understandable. Life is just busy. For us, it's always been busy, and I think uh, it, it's going to stay busy. It's not as busy as it used to be, but it's still busy. And it takes purposefulness. It takes intentionality to see where the weaknesses are in our marriage and then to do something about them. Now, you know that I'm a, a complementarian, and what that means is that the, the husband is the leader in the home, but there's no voice more important to me in all of the world than the voice of my, of my wife. So, in a, in a very real sense, we're, we're partners absolutely, thoroughly, completely partners. But if I'm a complementarian, I believe I ought to be the initiator. Eventually, I think the buck stops with me. Now, that doesn't mean that you might not have had a, a, a relationship, a marriage, that fell apart, and, and it wasn't your fault primarily. And that is, I don't want you to, to hear what I'm saying and, and to feel some kind of weight of guilt about where things are in your marriage, but if you're married, what I'm saying, if you're the husband, do something about strengthening, growing, maturing your, your marriage. And watch out for, watch out for the weeds. So, so what does it mean to tend your garden with your marriage? You've heard me say this before. We reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. We reap later than we sow. 
So what are the seeds that we need to sow? Two that I want to mention to you over these next couple of minutes. One is words and second is attitudes. Words and attitudes. Now I've got a a lot of shortcomings in, in every area of my life. One of them is not loving my wife. I call her honey pie, sugar pie, sweetheart. I call her all kinds of names comparable to that. Occasionally I call her by her regular name, Jay. Sometimes it's Jay Lynn. I'd say 90% of the time it's honey, sweetheart, sugar pie. Now that may be more than you want to know. It might turn my grandkids' stomachs a little bit sick, but they've heard it. They've actually heard it. And our words are a reflection of our heart. And intentionality requires me to think when I speak to her, I need to speak to her lovingly as often as I can. With, with, with words that reflect how I feel about, about her. And so our words are very, very important. Our words are fueled by our attitudes, by our attitudes. My attitude toward her is, I, I am stunned, as you are, that somebody that looks like her would marry somebody that looks like me. And I tell her, I'll say, sweetheart, you're so pretty today. And she said, well, what do you think if I, if I let my hair go gray, which, she, which she's doing now? I said, honey, you can shave your head if you want to. Gray hair, blonde hair, this, it doesn't make any difference to me. You know, we're together, our bodies are changing, we're putting on weight where we wouldn't want to put on weight. It doesn't matter to me. Her body type doesn't matter to me. She's God's gift to me. My responsibility is to love, to love her. The, the world says she should look a certain way. Well, what do I care what the world says? My flesh may say she should look a certain way. What do I care what, what my flesh says? See, our, our, our attitudes are going to fuel our words. What would it be like for me to say, honey, you're looking kind of old. Well, I've been white-headed since I was about 35. And so, yeah, why would I say something like that to her? That's what they're saying to your, your daughters. Keep your kids off TikTok. Watch the, watch the YouTube that they watch very, very closely. The world is telling them they have to look a certain way to be valued and I tell you, that is a damnable lie, and it comes straight from hell, and I'm not going to propagate that to, to, my, to my wife. That, that, that doesn't make any, any sense to me. Now, you don't have to do things the same way that, that we do because we're, we're different people, we're different couples, and it might, it might look a little bit differently, but if you don't, if you're not intentional about fanning the flame of love, particularly through words and attitudes, the fires will grow cold, the weeds will grow up, and things will not be what you had hoped and dreamed and longed for them to be 
And if you're a man, be the man and take the lead in it. Take the lead in it. For example, I would say 95% of the time when we get, when we get home, I'm, all, I'm always in the passenger side now. And I, I, get out of the, I get out of the van, I get to the garage door, into the house first, 95% of the time, unless I have to rush, rush in and use the restroom. I, I stand at the door and I wait for her, I wait for her to enter the, uh, to enter the house. That might not mean anything to your wife, and, and I don't know if it means that much to, to Jaylen or not, but uh, I did it when we dated, and I'm going to do it until, uh, until either I don't have any more sense about me or until I die. I like opening her door. She, she drives all the time. I like walking around, opening her door. That might not mean anything to your wife. It not not. There, there are different ways we show love and affection and appreciation. And so I don't want to, I don't want to insinuate that you've got to, to love your wife the same way that, that I love my wife, that my expressions are the same way that, that you would show expression. But if you're not careful, there will, there will grow a distance between, between you. I, I've spent most of, my, most of my career in little tiny dark rooms at seminaries and church offices and stuff like that. So when I get home, I, I, I'm, I'm like, a, I, I'm fit to be tied. I'm ready to, I'm ready to get out and rock and roll and do something, walk 90, 90 degrees outside, five to below zero. I'm ready to go do something, get outside, walk. It doesn't matter how hard her day has been. 95% of the time, she'll say, sweetheart, would you like to go for a walk? She already knows the answer. And, uh, and we'll be walking. I know she's tired. I know she's had a long day. But that's one way that she loves me. She, she, she doesn't ever say to me, I'm doing this for you because I love you. I just know that's why she's, why she's doing it. It's a, it's a weed that's being planted, it's a, or a weed that's being pulled, and a, and a seed that's in a seed that's being, being planted. We hold hands. In fact, one of the seminary professors says we're the, the most hand-holding couple he's seen in our neighborhood. We always hold hands. Now, you don't have to hold hands. When we had little children, we are holding the little children's hand. And when I walk with my grandkids, I'm trying to keep them back from the street. I'm, I'm like uh, over-the-top protective with them. But if we walk, we hold hands. We're, we're touching one with another. If we, if we sit together in church, which we don't get to that often, we sing and we hold, we hold hands together. You've got to find ways to nurture and love and fan the flame in your marriage or it will be overgrown with weeds. You, you'll launch children out that don't know how to show affection appropriately in public to one another. Jalen came from a family that, that wasn't very affectionate. I came from a family that was appropriately affectionate, and it took us a while to, to work through all of that. It was just ingrained in who she was. I was a hugger and a kisser, and, uh, and, uh, and she, was, uh, she just wasn't at the same point that I was when we got married, when we would just come together at the, end of the, at the beginning of the end of the day. And she learned, and I learned, and we, and we, be, and we figured, figured it out. But, but what I'm saying to you is, I worry about you. 
because I know how I am. I worry about you because I, I've done enough study on Satan and demons in the Bible to know they really do exist and they really do want to destroy your lives. And so work hard by the words that you use and your attitudes and be ge very generous with forgiveness. That would be the last thing I would say tonight. Be very, very forgiving. You can forgive them without even saying anything to them. Your spouse may speak harshly to you. They may be stern towards you. They may be sharp towards you. You don't have to say, I forgive you. Just forgive them. Just let, let it go. Just let it go in one ear and out the other. Retaliation never helps, and a gentle answer almost always turns away, turns away wrath. So what I'm saying is don't be lazy, be diligent. Don't be careless, be intentional. And the more diligent and intentional you are, the more your marriage will flourish. If you're single, learn how to not to be, be selfish. That is, don't be a selfish single person. If you're a selfish single person, you won't be a good married person. If you've always got to win, you're going to be a problem. If you've always got to win, you're going to be a serious problem. You're going to crush the spirit of your spouse. Just be a good loser. Most things aren't worth winning over. There are very few things in life that you've got to win. Be a very good loser. You'll have a much happier marriage and your spouse will grow and mature as well. So what I want to do is I want to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to ask uh, our brother to come back up, lead us in a song. I want to tell you, I am so excited about what is in store for us as a church. I was scared to death when we started moving down the road that we're, that we're on right now, possibly enlarging our campus, until I saw the people that were on that team. And once I saw the people were on that team, I felt like God's hand is on us, and, uh, and they're going to do a good job leading and guiding us. So let me lead us in prayer, then we're going to sing together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that Proverbs is such a practical book, and even as we think about uh, diligence and hard work and gardening, it has much to say to us about, about life about marriage and parenting, about the dangers and the pitfalls that are all around us. Thank you that you want to bless our marriages. You want to bless our families. None of us are perfect. None of us have perfect families. None of us have perfect marriages. None of us are a perfect spouse. Yet we have a perfect Savior a loving Father, an empowering Holy Spirit that will enable us to make good choices for our families. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name for VBS tomorrow. Lord, we look at all of the decorations and so many good folks were involved in that. I, I think, for example, of the Priest Myers and all of the hard work that they've 
they put in each year to the decorations. Thank you for all of the people that are teaching, the people that are taking time from their jobs. And Father, fill this entire building with the joy of the Lord. Fill this entire building with the presence of Jesus. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name the gospel seeds would be planted in the lives of children who have virtually no knowledge of who Jesus is. And for those of our own children, Father, who have been coming here and they're in Christian homes and they're taught the gospel, allow the fruition of the work of the parents and those who teach them here uh, to culminate in saving faith for some of them uh, this week as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.